sleep? Am I on? There we go. Okay. Well, it was fun last night. It's always good to be down in Burlington. Man, I love this city. I feel right at home in Burlington. You know, I, my old stomping grounds was a Tum one. There's some similarities. You guys are the upgraded, high-class version of a Tum one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Then the guys from, I'm sorry, Skylar. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, <laughs> it, uh, no, but I, I love Southern Iowa, so man, it's good to be here this morning. Anybody got a testimony before we get started? Anybody want to share what the Lord did in their life last night? Anybody? You know, in Scripture, when it talks about glorifying the Lord, it's usually tied to the testimony. People say, well, I don't want to call attention to myself. Well, you're robbing God of some glory. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? The Lord touched you yesterday. Yes. Yeah, that's good, yeah. Huh. Wow, hallelujah, that's awesome. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes. Wow. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes.
了。Yeah. Often, you know, we, we, we have a relationship with Jesus. We have a relationship with the Father, but often we don't cultivate that relationship with the Holy Spirit. And uh, he, he wants an intimate relationship with us. And uh, it's developing that relationship as the third person of the Godhead. It's an important thing and just to ask him to develop that relationship with him. So there was someone back here as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I obviously was touched by the Lord and not expecting that. Um, actually, uh, my, he's not here so I can say this, but my oldest son was here um, uh, with and brought a friend who is not used to any of this. So I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? Because I, you know, I knew. But I just had to be like, God, you know, I actually kind of tried to resist it a few times. <sighs> it, I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't. It, I couldn't. And so I gave way to it. And when I gave way to what he was doing, um, he just gave me a beautiful picture. Of, yeah, I was the one that was whistling. Um, somebody asked, like, does she whistle normally? No, I don't. <laughs> um, but... I just had this, yep, it was me. And so It was very I, pretty. I didn't know where that was coming from. <laughs> I just had this, God just took me into an encounter where I was, we were dancing and I was a child. And it was like we were just skipping around together and it was just, I, I, it was going, that was the song, like there was a song, there was a sound for us to be together. And he's like, release the sound. And I'm like, and it just came out as a whistle. Yeah. And so, um, anyways, I released the sound. Uh, so, yes, that's why. And then I couldn't stop. And I'm like, stop. But I couldn't because it was so good. Like, oh, it just was flowing from my, the, my belly, you know? Yeah. Like, it was flowing from my belly because it was from what I had seen. But I also just want to encourage everyone that um, God was moving in here in such a way that I just, I saw angels um, releasing like confetti and sprinkles and there were, yeah, just lots of different things happening. They were pouring out buckets of different colors, which I feel like represents that each person was receiving exactly what they needed because it wasn't like a one size fits all. And I really saw him in the room um, during this encounter that I was having. And he just was, I just felt like he was wanting there to be a freedom. So however freedom looked like for you uh, last night, whether that was belly laughing or if it just felt like a complete breaking off of something, God was tr wanting to bring freedom. Yeah, amen, amen. Oh, that's so good. Even as you were talking, I, I was just thinking, uh, I'm so... I, I'm so glad Chris prefaced so many things because so many things that would keep me from staying in an encounter, he mentioned, like, for instance, it's like two worlds colliding because... He would say that, you know, when he had his encounter and he was like, God's doing something, but yet you could hear what's going on. And yeah. it's like so easy to get pulled out of what he's doing, but then like what God's doing. And so I was just like, Lord, I don't want to, it was like this tug of two war worlds. And it was like, no, I just, I just want to stay in this place. Like keep doing what you're doing. But yet, so it helped me to stay there because before I would get distracted, you know, then I'd be like, oh, 
like I'll hear what's going on or start thinking about more of what's going on here instead of just like, just like, oh no, I could stay. So I felt like I had, there was a freedom and a permission to just stay with yeah. him. With yeah. leaning into what he was doing. And that so helped me. Because before, I probably would have been like, okay, this is great. But I, I got to stay there all night. And the beautiful thing is, is like, I, I was over here on the floor for a long time. When they told me what time it was later, I'm like, no. Like, is it really 10 o'clock and these poor guys want to go home? And, and, Aaron, and Aaron's standing there. But I'm like, no, I don't want to leave. And, and then I'm like, okay, get my coat. So I just like kind of hobble out and, uh, and then get to the car. And I'm kind of... Oh, I'm still like moaning. <laughs> and, and then, uh, but it was so beautiful because it was like, you know, I know my son was trying to figure out what was going on because I was in and out. Like I could kind of hear <laughs> like some conversation. I'm like, I'm staying, I'm staying. But what was beautiful is I heard Aaron, like as I'm like moaning in the front seat, I hear Aaron talking with Silas and they're just like, they're laughing and giggling. But Aaron, it's such a teachable moment. He's sharing, you know, God's just doing things. And and leaning into that, and, and it was so beautiful and healing to our family, just to hear him speaking and ministering to Silas, and then when I got out of the cart, like, Silas helped me to the, Silas helped me in the door, and then I just laid on my couch and, like, continued to moan, like, just, oh, God, and then, um, finally, I, I, I made my way, but I've still woke up in the glory of the Lord, but it's just, I, I share that because it's, like, these two worlds are coming together and he's teaching us to tap into and to, like you said, focus, like, yeah. oh, and just bringing yeah. it together. I don't understand it all, but it's so good and it's good to yield to the Lord. It, it is. And it's so good for, it's good for a family, for the kids to have to exactly. help mom and dad get in the house after a good service. So we got two more. Okay. <clears throat> when you said the in and out and the tug, the Holy Spirit, it just, right before you said that, there was this, he showed up again. He's, he's here with us. Just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when you said the tug between the two worlds, he said, that's what heaven's like. And people have a choice. I work with people who are always transitioning from this earth to heaven. And sometimes they choose not to go yet, even though their body is way past uh, we just look at them, and they're way past. We don't even know why you're still here with us. They choose to stay. And then there are those who choose to go, and we've had testimony of somebody who has COVID and had COVID, and she had to choose not to die. And so focus is the key. They honor, all of them honor our choices, and that tug is for real. For me, I just love seeing the different expressions and just letting God be God. Yes, this ties in with um, what you were saying about how the Holy Spirit shows up differently to different people. Whether we receive him differently um, again or he knows how <laughs> we need to receive him or what we need. Um, when I was up yesterday um, in the front, I can't even remember what they called us up for, but I went up there and, and <clears throat> I was told to put my hands up to receive. And as I'm standing there just praying in the spirit and I have my hands up, all of a sudden, now it was nothing visible, it was light, it was airy, 
but there was a heaviness, there was a weight on my hands. And, and I had this thought, it's like, no, I can't put my hands down. I want more, I want more. And so I kept holding them up and this weight was just heavy, heavy, heavy. And it's like, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. You are pouring out your glory on me and the reason my hands are heavy is because you're saturating me. My skin and my, my flesh and everything is just saturated with you, even though I wasn't dripping. <laughs> but that's why I was heavy, because he was saturating me. So praise God for that. Well, yesterday afternoon, excuse me, uh, there was like when the when spirit was moving and we were up in front, having prayer, you know, and we were all up there. And it's like, I was coming that afternoon with severe pain in my back. And so it's like, oh, I just want to come to last night, but I couldn't make it. I said, I've got to rest. And so as I went to bed, I went into a really deep sleep. I thought, okay, I woke up in the middle of the morning and I said, get me up at 4.30. <laughs> well, it didn't happen. <laughs> I got up at 6 o'clock. And I got up and started moving. I didn't even notice it through the course of the morning hours. And I'm going, all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute. I don't have any more pain in my back. So I praise God and give him all the glory for that. In Jesus' name. in one, two. All right. It, uh, it, it is fun to be in someone else's house because they're responsible, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so if it's uncomfortable, say, so, hey, it's on them. <laughs> we, but uh, the, the, Lord, the Lord will do things that make us uncomfortable. I remember, you know, Christopher was alluding last night to some of the different revivals that we were touched through, and he didn't name names, but, you know, many of you knew what we were talking about, and uh, we had we were Brownsville guys, you know, suits and ties and repentance and tears. That's how God manifests. God had a one size fit all, you know. It was crying and repentance, you know, laughing. That was you know that was silliness. Matter of fact, one of my heroes in the faith. I won't tell you who he was uh, because he thinks differently now. He's with the Lord, but he would he would say about Toronto. He'd say, "Why why are they man? There's people going to hell. Why are people laughing on the floor? As if that's all we should do is just constantly cry." And uh, so Christopher, uh, I had just become the pastor of the church that, that I pastor, and uh, we are probably a year into it. I had called Christopher after a few months and said, hey, move your family up here and help me out. And uh, to his credit, he did. Uh, moved his whole family up to Iowa from Tennessee, and we started working together. And uh, he, he was going to go check out Toronto. And we were, we, were not, uh, we were not inclined to think that was God, okay? The people that we were following just didn't, but we were hungry, and so Christopher went, and I remember he calls me, 
And he said, hey, man, he said, God is still moving up here. He said, it's amazing. And I said, I want you to preach Sunday night, because we had Sunday night services back then. So he calls me from the airport on Sunday afternoon, and he said, I just landed. He said, God's going to show up. It's going to be powerful tonight. And I remember I had two simultaneous feelings hit my heart. I was excited and afraid. Like, oh. <laughs> you know, you know, we were with a, a Pentecostal denomination at the time that wasn't as very kindly inclined towards Toronto either. And uh, so anyways, Christopher gets up and preaches that night. And it was good. I mean, it was, you know, at the time it seemed revolutionary. People really got touched. There were some people on the ground. And, and, uh, and it wasn't tremendously extravagant, but at the time it felt that way. And I remember standing on the front row of our little tiny building, and uh, I was just praying. And I, I'm saying, God, you know, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? And Christopher's getting all wild praying for people. And Christopher comes over, puts his hand on my chest, and gives me a word that we ended up, he, he ended up writing a song about it. We used to sing it all the time. But uh, this is the word he gave me, and I knew it was from God. He said, in holy desperation, you must lose your reputation. And I knew that was a word from the Lord. And so uh, we went into Chris, the Christmas season, and I was studying the Christmas story. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly out of, with Joseph. And this is what he told me. He said, Dave, like Joseph, he said, I don't need you to bring life to the bride. Mary didn't need Joseph to impregnate her. He said, what I need you to do is to lend your good name to that which others will think is illegitimate until it can walk on its own. And that's the role of a pastor, to lend our good name, to give a covering to those fledgling moves of God and protect them while they're still vulnerable. And uh, so we went through some times where we had, you know, it's some crazy things happen. And, uh, and like I told you yesterday, a lot of times it was the, the new people that loved it. It was, it was interesting to me. We had this, this one move of God. Uh, I've got pictures on my phone of some crazy stuff that happened that morning. People were piled and piled. It was just, I mean, the raw power of God just came in the room. And uh, everybody loved it, except a few people that had been touched by a previous revival. They were the ones who rejected it. You know, you've probably heard that old phrase that it's the leaders of the last revival that are often the persecutors of the next one. Because we think that God's got to do it the way He did it before. And the Lord is, man, He's, he's got, Scripture talks about the many-faceted wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom. It's, there's many facets to it. And uh, we can't put God in a box. You know, God, God, God is free to do what God wants to do. And He will often do stuff to tweak us so that we will uh, we can go with him. So anyway, God is good. So it's, man, thank you for sharing those testimonies. It, uh, man, you're good on that that drum. Yeah, that, that was that was awesome. You're good on that. So let's uh, we're, we're going to get into the word this morning. Uh, I think that the the outline said we're going to look at gifts of the spirit. We're going to touch on that because we did start to touch on that yesterday, and I want to move on from that into apostolic and prophetic foundations. Uh, and and, and any time you're doing a conference or a seminar or teaching on the supernatural, uh, what, we're, what we're after here is that we want the church to remain supernatural. The church was never meant to be reduced to human skill. It's not about highly skilled people that we're just, we're maxing out our human potential. 
What God will always do is call us to do something well beyond our own abilities. So the only way to, to close that gap is the power of God has to make up the difference. God wants to call us to things that we can't do on our own. Well, that demands the church be supernatural. And you can't have a supernatural environment. You can't have a supernatural church. The church will not remain supernatural without making room for apostolic and prophetic ministry. So we're going to look at that this morning. And then this afternoon, I'm going to change some things, some things we were going to get into. I really feel like we need to look at culture uh, and how, how do we establish supernatural culture. Because culture is what will take what God does in the individual and transfer it to the many. And when we can create supernatural culture, that's where that becomes the greenhouse in which God can begin to move and others can be pulled into it. And so we've got to move from personal character to corporate culture. We've got to move from God doing something in us as individuals to God doing something between us as a body. And then others can be pulled into it or we can be sent out from there. But if it's just a bunch of people individually getting touched and it doesn't change the way we interact with one another, then it will die there. We'll have, we'll have revived, in, revived individuals, but we won't have revival culture, kingdom culture, or that supernatural environment that others can step into. And so I want to look at that this afternoon, God willing. So uh, what we want to look at this morning, and I touched on this yesterday, on, is spiritual gifts, because spiritual gifts are God's way of making up the difference. Now, we talked yesterday, there are, there are three primary passages on spiritual gifts. There's Romans 12, and like we said yesterday, Romans 12 gives us the gifts from the Father, okay? So the Father gives us gifts, and they're often referred to as motivational gifts. And one of the reasons they're called motivational is because the, the, uh, the Greek word for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, the root word of which is char, C-H-A-R, which is joy. And it, it really is talking about what, is, what are the things that really turn your crank? What are the things that bring you joy that when you do them? Remember Jesus at the, with the woman at the well, he said, he said to the disciples, hey, go get some, you know, get some food. They, go, they come back and they said, here, Lord, we brought your lunch. He said, I have food you know not of. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. When you get in the zone of what God has called you to do, it actually energizes you. you. It feeds you. It doesn't drain you because you're in that zone. There's the joy of the Lord becomes your strength and you step into that zone. And many of us can relate with that. When you're doing what you're called to do, man, you can do it and do it and do it and do it. And then at, when you're done, then you crash. But while you're doing it, it's great. Uh, and so uh, those, those are the gifts from the Father. And uh, then you've got Ephesians chapter 4, and those are the gifts from the Son, okay? So Jesus has gifts, and these are called the ministry gifts, and uh, these are distinct from the other two. We're going to look at that. And then there are 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's always pressure when you spell in public, you know, you can, might do it wrong. And these are the gifts of the Spirit. And these gifts, they're, they're often referred to as the manifestation gifts. Uh, we don't have time to get too deep into this this morning. But it is interesting. I, I would challenge you to read 1 Corinthians 12, and I would propose to you, based on that text, that the spiritual gifts, the manifestation gifts, are as much a manifestation of the human spirit as they are the Holy Spirit. Paul said the spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophet. 
He's talking about the spirit, the human spirit of that prophetic individual. When he's speaking of tongues in this context, he said, my spirit prays, but my mind will remain unfruitful. So tongues is not praying in the spirit, it's praying with your spirit. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14, chapter 14, it's very clear. Virtually all translations that I've looked at says, I will pray with my spirit. So your human spirit, so that's why tongues are so valuable because I was just teaching on this at our church because we just we do a corporate fast in, in, uh, in January that there's three types of prayer in the New Testament, three expressions. There's prayer with words that you understand. The problem with that, it, it can lift the burden, it can vent that, that, that yearning, that, that frustration, you know, releasing your burden to the Lord, but there's a lid on that because you are limited to your own understanding of the situation. So then there comes a point at which I've, I've bankrupt my understanding, but I've, I've had no release. So then we step into praying with our spirit tongues, and our mind remains unfruitful because your human spirit has become one with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, He who is joined to Him in spirit has become one with Him in spirit. The, you know, that's why in a lot of translations, you'll see discrepancies. Sometimes they'll be saying spirit, not a big S. In another translation, have a little S. Well, is it the human spirit or the Holy Spirit? doesn't matter. Because you become one with Him in spirit. You're wed to Him. So your human spirit in conjunction with the Holy Spirit is beginning to give vent to what's in your heart. And so you can go beyond your understanding. Your spirit perceives things that your mind does not yet. A.W. Tozer has this great book on the nature and character of God. And there's this little phrase in there. He says, sometimes your mind has to wait humbly outside while your spirit goes into worship. I love that. All right, guy, you know, this is, this is beyond you. You know, just condescending, pat your little brain on the head. You're going to have to wait here. This is beyond you. And your spirit goes and it just worships, you know? Because uh, your spirit will perceive things. And so spiritual gifts in this sense are a function of the human spirit. That your human spirit is picking up on things. And so and we've, you know, those of us who have been in Pentecostal churches, you know, we, you'll know. You're, you're in worship and all of a sudden there's like, there's a sense, oh, there's going to be a gift. There's going to be a message in tongues. There's going to be a prophetic word. You just sense it. That's your human spirit. <laughs> your human spirit is picking up on what's going on in the atmosphere. Your mind doesn't understand it. So what we need to be, when Scripture talks about 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3, it talks about the natural man cannot receive the things of God. That's, that's the King James Version. The NIV, which I happen to like, is a very poor translation in that passage. And what it does is it violates what's, it, it makes an assumption that a lot of people make in that passage. It says, the man without the spirit cannot receive the things of God. That is not what the text says. The Greek is uh, the, the, the psychikos, the, the man of the soul cannot receive the things of God. It doesn't mean he doesn't have the spirit. It just means that's not where he's living from. So in that passage, he, in chapter 2, or chapter 3, he gets into the carnal man. Then he talks about the soulish man or the natural man. And then he talks about the spiritual man. Now we use that terminology. Oh, he's spiritual. What does that mean? Ooh, you know, he's spiritual. What that means is that what's leading him 
What is at the forefront of his nature when he's navigating spiritual affairs is his spirit because they're spiritually discerned. And we've got to learn to trust our spirit in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. Like people say, well, how do you know that God spoke to you? Because you've tested those waters over time and you learn to trust your ability to hear. You learn to trust a word of knowledge. You learn to trust these things. And so that is, that is acclimating your spirit man. So your spirit man is the one that comes to the forefront rather than your mind and your, your spirit has to wait out back. There are a lot of soulish Christians. They're born again, but they're not able to flow in the spirit because they're not spiritual. Everything has to be signed off by their intellect. Well, I don't know. I've got to check this out with my intellect. I don't think God would do that. They check out. And so we're called to be spiritual. Babies are carnal. Adolescents are soulish. But mature men and women are spiritual. And so we navigate these spiritual affairs by our human spirit. And one aspect of that is we begin to flow in this, this type of gift. Now, there's a reason that these gifts, you'll hear cessationist movements, cessationists, those movements, those, those uh, theological schools of thought that believe the gifts of the Spirit ceased for today, cessationists, you'll hear uh, non-charismatic, non-Pentecostal churches emphasize motivational gifts. You'll hear them even emphasize some of these, at least pastors, evangelists, and teachers. And some will even have room, they'll redefine a prophet and an apostle. They'll say a prophet is somebody who's a preacher and an apostle is a church planner. But they don't buy off on this or they redefine it. Tongues is the ability to preach in another language. It's the gift of other languages, you know. That, like my brother, he's, he's very gifted at language. He learned Spanish and now he's learning Portuguese and he's learned some other stuff. And well. Whatever Latin American country will go in, he, his accent is spot on. He'll preach in Spanish. And I'm just like jealous. You know, he's just, but that's not the gift of tongues. That's just, he's just weird, okay? Okay? That's, you know, I'm, I don't doubt that God gave it, but that's not a spiritual gift. That's a natural inclination towards, when he was a little kid, he could speak, you know, act like he's British and just weird, you know? So these, these gifts, so you could say this. Okay, look at, matter of fact, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look at this real quick. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, if I can find it. Look at verses 3, 4, and 5, I think it is. Okay, look at verse 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when we were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Okay, now jump down to verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Okay, so in verse 4, he's talking about the gifts from the Spirit of God. There's a variety of these gifts, but the same Spirit that gives them. Then look at verse 5. There are... And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Now that's talking about the Ephesians 4 category. There's service. There is, there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are varieties of services, but the same Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave those gifts. And then we have verse 
6, and there are varieties of activities. I like the NAS in there. It says there are varieties of effects. It's saying that when the grace of God hits certain personalities, it's going to have a different effect on them. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them and everyone. There seems to be an implication in that verse that everybody has these. Even before you're saved, you can see these showing up in people's lives. It may be, it may be the negative element, but you can see some of these showing up in people's lives. I, I would propose this, that by birth, your biological life gives you access to the gift of the Father, okay? But inside, you know, you know those little, what are those little uh, Russian dolls? You know, you open one and there's another one and another one. Uh, the gift of life from the Father. Also, if you unwrap it, inside there is a gift of salvation from the Son. And when you do that, you'll begin to access these gifts because you'll put yourself under those gifted individuals so that you can receive from heaven. But then when you have Jesus, there's another gift in there, and that's the gift from the Spirit. And these gifts are decidedly Pentecostal charismatic gifts. You, when they are activated in the baptism of the Spirit, where all of a sudden those gifts, our human spirit is filled, and we begin to bump up against those, and those things can be developed and cultivated, and we can learn to flow in those gifts of the Spirit. So we, we have to cultivate our spiritual perception, our spiritual senses, and that, that is a that is something we should endeavor to do. When Paul says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, he's not just talking about saying, God, give me gifts, give me gifts, give me, give me, give me gifts. It's developing that perception so that we can grow those gifts. All spiritual gifts can be grown. Okay? And so we need, we need to be going after these things because this is what makes the church supernatural. Now, there are, like I said, there are churches... Uh, that are cessationists. And the fact is, the way the human mind works, let, let me take a run at it this way. I, I had a professor in Bible school. He said this one time, and I, I never forgot it. I thought, man, that's a very insightful statement. He said, what Abraham got through relationship, Isaac got through inheritance, and Jacob attend, attempted to get through manipulation. So think about that. The first generation encounter, that's the revival generation. A generation of people that are touched by the Spirit of God, they have relationship. What they access, all of that through an intimate, first-hand experiential theology. And it's those movements that are the real movers and shakers in the earth in their generation. The ones that encounter God for themselves. And so we need to endeavor that every, every generation gets touched. That's why it's good for kids have to carry mom and dad in the front door. They need to experience that stuff. That is really healthy for a family. And vice versa, mom carrying the kids in, you know. We need to have those first-hand experiences because what happens is any movement, the next generation, they're, they're raised in it. They just have it by inheritance. And so to them, this is normal. They don't realize the price that was paid, the agony that was experienced of living in barrenness and knowing there's more. And so when you break into that, man, there's a gratitude and there's a value for this. Whereas the kids that got it for, by an inheritance, there's not as great a value. Well, that's just normal. That's just Christianity. And then what happens in those movements, then the next generation is trying to replicate that stuff by manipulation. They're trying to manufacture the reality rather than breaking into relationship. And so there's this, 
there is this pull of the fall that bears upon organizations and movements that we've got to be aware of, that we all need. There's that old saying, God has no grandkids. You know, you got to have your own personal relationship with God. And they all need their own encounter with God to keep this thing alive. What we're seeing today is large Pentecostal denominations who are becoming partial cessationists. They believe in most of the spiritual gifts. But what they divorce themselves from, and I could, I could name some our larger Pentecostal denominations that in their position papers, they don't believe in apostles and prophets for today. And I would propose to you, what, in, in uh, Ephesians it says that the apostles, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Well, there's a reason for that. There's an order. There is a, a necessity of apostolic and prophetic foundations to anchor the church in the supernatural. And without that, we will go the way of all the earth. And if the, if the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, cessationism is built on their absence. Because they are the two decidedly supernatural gifts that infuse the body of Christ and tie it to the supernatural. And I wanna, I'll try to make a case for that from the Word in here in a moment. But we need to keep the church supernatural. We need those encounters with the Lord. People need to be touched by something beyond the natural. That it's unarguable that this God was among us. It's not about just having good arguments and uh, you know good moral people. We need that, but there's got to be more. And so we have to have those supernatural encounters with the Lord. Uh, Churches that do not touch the supernatural may be very good at discipling people, but there's a certain type of person they can never touch because of the brokenness and the complexities of their problems, the trauma these people went through. Only the supernatural church can bring healing to those types of people. And so churches that don't operate in the supernatural, they're able to touch the, the, the echelon of society that's fairly functional. You know, that they got a fairly good home and they're, you know, there's not a lot of these twisted addictions and trauma and, and uh, you know, all this stuff in the background. It takes the church that operates in the supernatural to touch that because that's the only answer for these people. And so we've got to be a supernatural church. And so we need to contend for this. Now, when we talk about partial cessationism, uh, you, you can see, okay, there's the first generation of revival, we believe, hey, the supernatural is normative. This is what we're supposed to be flowing in. This is, this is the norm, all right? We're supposed to live as supernatural people. What happens then over time, they say, yeah, God still does it today, but it's not normative. You know, that's, that's just God breaks in. Yeah, that's the, that's the term that theologians, that's not normative. That's not the norm. Then what happens is we buy off... Yes, it was the norm in biblical days. God just doesn't do that anymore today. And the final theological position is God didn't even do it in the Bible. That was just their archaic way of explaining things that they didn't have the scientific understanding that we do today. There wasn't really demons. They had mental illness. You know? And so we explain it away. So what is God's answer to that? He breaks in again. Breaks in among His people. And we encounter Him. And we're revived. And we need to be continually contending for that to hold the line. 
Because the supernatural church is the answer for this day and age. And so we've got to hold the line on this thing. So uh, you've got gifts from the Father, gifts from the Son, and gifts from the Spirit. Now, the gifts from the Father are grace upon the effect that grace has on the person's life. The gifts from the Spirit are the, the Spirit of God manifesting Himself through our human spirit. Now, let me just touch on one other thing because I didn't finish my thought earlier. So there's, there's prayer with words, but you're limited to your understanding. There's prayer with tongues. You're not limited to your understanding. It says that I will pray with my spirit, but my mind will remain unfruitful. My, my mind doesn't even have to be engaged. But there's a third type of prayer that we see in the New Testament, and this is where things really begin to move. And that is prayer without words with groans that words cannot articulate. It's called travail. It's Romans chapter 8. Now, you can't work up travail. Don't try to manufacture it. You'll just be weird. But we also need to avail ourselves to the heart of the Lord. And there's, I remember reading, there was, there's a well-known Assembly of God theologian, brilliant. He's an editor of many, you know, many commentaries, brilliant guy. He's got this huge book on the Spirit. It's probably the definitive book on the Holy Spirit. Big old honking book. And I was reading in there in Romans chapter 8, and he said, we don't know what this groan means. Because we have no other scriptures to, that allude to this. Suffice it to say that it's, it's a type of prayer that we don't understand. And I thought, that breaks my heart. Here's a Pentecostal theologian. I thought, man, what he needs to do is get into revival service. You get in a revival service where the Lord begins to release His burden, and man, there's groans that will begin to rise. And when that happens, things will begin to move. There's getting under that load that we, we have bankrupt not only our native tongue and every other language we know, we've bankrupt our spiritual language, and there's still this burden that all we can do is get under the load and just groan to heaven. And if we can learn to stay in that pocket, things will shift. That is where revival is birthed and where nations are saved. And there's stories all down through history of the, that groan of intercession. I love when that thing hits. The other morning, we have prayer meetings Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at our church in the morning. And uh, we'll, we'll gather and it's, there's, there's certain ones, they'll come in and man, we'll get into that. And pretty soon they're hitting that groan. And there's, uh, there was, there's a gal that she, she'll lay under the pew before she goes to work at her beauty salon, you know. And she, I, I would, I would, I walked down the aisle and I got by her. I could feel it, so I would just stand there and just pray. There was like this pocket of grace that things were moving, and we need to learn to move with the Spirit of God in those things. God wants to release travail over this nation. God wants to release travail over our churches. In fact, just lift your hands right now, Father, Lord. We're asking God that you would. Release your burden, God. Extend your heart towards us. Lord, share your heart with us. And Father, we're asking that you would begin to release travail in our churches, Lord. God, raise up pockets of intercession. Lord, those handmaids of the Lord that will help the birthing process. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Pastor Dave, are these your intercessors right here? Yeah. Why don't you lazy stand up right now, would you? We, we just want to pray for you. Because there's, I'm, I'm telling you, that, that thing is on you. God wants to release that to you. There's something God wants to do 
through your church and through the intercession of this house for this whole region. I want you to just extend your right hand towards them. Father, we thank you for these ladies. Father, we thank you, God, for the training. It's, it's like the Lord has had you in a school of the Spirit. He's been training you. It's, I, I see like these, these grooves in the Spirit. It's like a well-worn path. And it's like a harvest field, and there's these trenches that you guys have begun to dug, to, to dig over the last number of months and even years. And Father, we're asking God that you would fill these ditches with water. Lord, fill these ditches with water. Lord, I'm asking God that there would be a spirit of intercession that would come upon this house. And I just feel like the Lord wants you to know that you, you serve a unique role in this region, that you're serving the wider body of Christ in intercession. That, that God is on this thing, and so just go with it. The, Lord, the Lord's going to lead you by your Spirit into intercession. And so, Father, we thank you. We just pray you'd bless it, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. We thank you. You know, I'm a firm believer in, in uh, corporate callings. You know, there's, there's, we, we know as individuals, we don't all have the same calling. You know, we all have a unique call. Some of that is the spiritual gifting. Some of it is our history that God will take what the enemy meant for bad and use for good and all that. But that is true of churches as well. There's no such thing as a one-stop Jesus shop. Every church has their own unique calling. And we need to understand what that is because when we give ourselves to that, that it, there's several things that happen. One, it, it becomes a beacon for those who are called to the same thing. We need to find our tribe. You know, the, the, the promised land was divided among tribes. And your tribal affiliation determined your inheritance. The tribe you were called to would determine what your inheritance would be. And if we're unclear about what our tribal affiliation is, if we're unclear about the corporate calling on our church, then we're not able to send out that beacon, uh, that homing beacon for those that are called to the same thing. And so uh, when, when we understand the unique callings on our church, then we can be blessing other churches because we realize they do things that we can't and there's a partnership and that we're not in competition. We're in, we you know, work to complete one another and it's, a, it's an amazing thing. So, uh, so we have the gifts of the Spirit. The Romans 12 gifts are the gifts from the Father. Uh, they're, they're, they're the effective grace in life. The, the 1 Corinthians 12 gifts are the gifts of the Spirit. Our human spirit begins to manifest certain sensitivities and certain... Uh, abilities by the Spirit of God that we can begin to release. And as we grow in grace and become more and more spiritual, if you will, then we can operate to a greater degree on these. And all these things can be grown in. Ro the Ephesians 4 gifts are different than the others. Now, we alluded to this yesterday, that the gifts of the Spirit are gifts of power. Jesus said, tarry until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall receive power when He comes upon you. So these are gifts of power. They're the ability to do with God what you can't do without Him. It's not like there's a natural inclination towards prophecy and that when the Spirit comes on, it increases. You don't prophesy with either, out either divine energy coming upon you or demonic, and you don't want that kind of prophecy. But it's beyond our human capacity outside of the supernatural. And so that is power. But the Ephesians 4 gifts are gifts of authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me, therefore go. And so these gifts are different because they are governing gifts in the body of Christ. They're gifts of authority to govern the body of Christ. It was Paul, if you look, 
All three of these passages were written by Paul. And the context of all three passages, especially these two, this one not as much, but the context of every one of them is the body of Christ. It was to Paul that God gave this revelation of the church functioning as a human body with Christ as the head. John doesn't teach us that. Peter doesn't teach us that. It was Paul who had that revelation. And so you look at the the gifts of the Spirit and the body of Christ, the, the context of the gifts is always the body and the context of the body is always the gifts because it's your particular functioning within the body that determines the organ that you are. Some of us, you know, we're not a bucket of knuckles. You know, we're not all the same. You know, one's a toe, one's a foot, one's an ear, one's an eye, and together we're the body of Christ. And so it de- designates our place. Well, Isaiah chapter 9, it says, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Speaking of the Messiah, speaking of Jesus, he's the head, but his shoulders bear the weight of government. That was a common analogy in that, that day and age. Well, I would propose to you that these Ephesians 4 gifts are the governing shoulders of the body of Christ. They bear the load. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And they carry authority, and when we recognize that, we can honor that and receive from those gifts. But if we reject them, you know, there were people in Paul's day and age that looked at Paul and said, I don't think he's an apostle. And you know what? To them, He wasn't. They forfeited what the Apostle Paul, the author of much of the New Testament, carried because they rejected his gift. And Paul understood he wasn't an apostle to everyone. He said to the Corinthians, he said, I may not be an apostle to those guys, but surely I am to you. There was an apostolic function, and those who recognized it and honored it, if you honor a gift, you get the the goods of that gift. You know, Scripture says, if you honor a prophet, uh, you know, because he's a prophet, then you receive the prophet's reward. What's the prophet's reward? A prophet's reward is the word of the Lord. They'll labor, they'll, they'll spend time, they're, they're contending for the word of the Lord, and through honor you get for free what he labored for, or she labored for. But that's not isolated to the prophetic gifting. That's, that's true of all gifts. A teacher, what does a teacher do? A teacher labors to exegete the scriptures and to get sound doctrine. And as you honor a teacher because he's a teacher or she's a teacher, you get the teacher's reward. You get the word of the Lord from the scriptures, a clear understanding. A pastor, uh, you know, the, the pastor, if you, will, if you will honor a pastor, they have a grace to care for the sheep, to protect the sheep, to make sure the sheep are healthy. And there is this diabolical doctrine afoot, especially in the United States, that, well, I have my own relationship with Jesus. I don't need the church. Who do you think you are to excuse yourself from the Scriptures? Who do you think you are just to say, well, that that doesn't apply to me? The arrogance of that is frightening. We all need. I'm a pastor of a local church. I help uh, oversee some churches, but I also have overseers. And we, we put it in our bylaws that I've got some external overseers, and our board knows Our board can't vote me out, but if they're concerned, they can confront me, and if I don't receive it, they pull the trigger and the external overseers come in, and I've lost all authority. Once that mechanism is triggered, now I'm at their mercy, and they can can fire me, they can restore me, they can discipline me. It's, It's up to them. 
And I need that, and our church needs that. The church needs it so they know that Dave can't go rogue. Because none of us are immune to becoming crazy. Including this guy. <laughs> Maybe especially this guy. And, but also, I need that. I want, I want sounding boards, man. I, we all have our, our, our weaknesses, our, our, our uh, you know, those blind spots. And so we need, to, and so what, what we do is we choose some of these guys. We've got, we've got, make sure that we have some apostolic and prophetic ministries that are speaking into our ministry. And I look to them for counsel, but their real role is to come in and oversee in the hour of crisis. And we've got to have that. And so when we begin to realize and honor the, the various gifts around us, there's things that we can receive that we wouldn't have without those people in our lives. And there's an authority that comes in. I am very aware that right now we only have two overseers because uh, three of our overseers have passed away. The people that we've had in, in that role in the past. And now everybody's afraid to become one. No, I'm just kidding. It, uh, so... <laughs> I mean, you know, they get older and they pass away, so we, we're, uh, we're looking for another one, but we've got two, two right now, and I, I recognize very clearly when those people come into our house, there is a weight on what they say. I've known these guys for years. I've always appreciated their ministry, but because of the spiritual capacity that we've invited them into, all of a sudden, God has honored that, and these guys will have insight into our church and they'll say things, and it's like it lands with more weight. There is authority from heaven behind it. And I recognize that, and I value that. And it also makes me be very careful who I invite into that role. I don't want a Yehu in that role. So, uh, amen? So, we, you know, the, the authority is, is, is a very, very important thing. So, we have, now, look, Ephesians chapter 4, it says, it was he, okay, it says, he, he's, I want to say he's quoting Psalm 68. And it says, he took captivity captive and gave gifts to men. It's speaking of Jesus. And then it's, he's given gifts to the body of Christ, took captivity captive, gave gifts to men. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. What is it talking about? He's alluding to Roman Grecian military custom. What, what, what these generals would do is they would go into a foreign kingdom and they would conquer it. And they would take captives that they would then, it, matter of fact, it talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And there was, he always leads us into triumph, where it says that in, in a 2 Corinthians. It's talking about what's known as a triumphal entry. It was the highest form of Roman military parade. And so a general would come back, and they would be celebrating him, ticker tape parade, you know, and they're all, yeah, you're awesome, you're a rock star. And he'd be walking in with all his soldiers, and then he would have these people in chains. He had captives. Some of them would be kings and generals. Some of them would be philosophers and famous doctors or whatever. And on the great day of celebration, they would celebrate it two ways. Some would die. They would take the king or one of the generals. Sometimes they'd gouge their eyes out and make them just serve, you know. There was one, one uh, king that collected blind kings. He would just have them serving in his court. They'd grope around, you know. One time they were great, and he just, as an act of humiliation, they had to live the rest of their days in, in his court as a blind person. Sometimes they'd put their, 
foot on their neck and they'd kill them and that was the big celebration. But others then were set free and given as gifts to his fellow countrymen. So if there was some famous philosopher, you know, Aurelius, the famous philosopher, he'd take him and bring him in chains and on the great day of celebration, he would unshackle Aurelius and give it to a, a fellow general. Here, he can teach your children. Oh man, this is awesome. Man, he's famous. Man, my kids are going to get a good education. That man was given as a gift to a man. That's what he's talking about. So Jesus took captivity captive. He comes in and he conquers men and women and he turns around and gives them as a gift to the body of Christ. And we need to recognize that, that that's what that is. There are people God will put in your life that are given to you as a gift. And you can leave money on the table, so to speak, by not recognizing it and taking advantage of that. So when there's people that God gives to you, recognize and get what you can from them. Paul said, you have not many fathers. You have many teachers, but not many fathers. If there's one scripture I can not fulfill, that's the one I want. I want to have many fathers. I want to, have, I want to collect men and women of God that can speak into my life, that I can submit to, that, that carry something in God. And they can become avenues of grace into our life. So he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. To equip the saints for the work of ministry until we all grow up into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God becoming the whole man. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, and this is what we're going to get into this afternoon. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I really felt from the Lord that we need to tackle this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse, the, the last, uh, what, the last uh, two verses of Ephesians chapter 1. Let me see, what time were we done with this? Um, 11.45. <clears throat> the, uh, the last two verses, it says that God put everything under His feet, comma, for the church, comma, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. That's last two verses of Ephesians 1. Listen to what it says. The body, comma, the fullness of Him. You need to catch that. If you want all that God has for you, you want the fullness of God, not just a measure, you've got it. You can only get it in the body. You cannot touch the fullness of God on your own. I don't care how extravagant your encounters in private with God. That's glorious, and that's, that's a whole other subject to go after. But I'm telling you, there's a lid of limitation on what you can touch on your own. And God has designed it that way. The irreducible minimum of the fullness of God is two. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of him. What is he saying there? We know that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. So why is he saying wherever two or three? Because he's more there than other places. There's something of himself that he will commit to the two. He will withhold from you as one. Because God is after mutual interdependence. That there are things, I, I've experienced this, man, when I first got saved, I would cry out fast, study the word, spend two weeks talking to God about something, and it's like the heavens were brass. And there was this lady that was the cook at our Bible school. I would go out, to, I would go out for coffee. She was my spiritual mom, still is, all these years later. Still checks in on me. Thank God for that woman. And she... 
she'd take me out for coffee at McDonald's, that awful coffee, and, uh, and she would just start casually talking. She was a single mom. Her husband had abandoned her. She got pregnant at 16, had two girls, and her husband abandoned her. She lived, I mean, hand to mouth, by faith. She would drive her Vega with no muffler. You could hear her coming from two miles away. But that woman carried the presence of God. And she would just start talking to me, and she'd say, you know, da-da-da-da. And everything I'd been asking the Lord for two weeks, she would just casually share it in a conversation, and I would just be blown away. I've got notebooks, literally, I'm, I'm talking notebooks full of stuff she wrote me, and notes I took on things that she, I mean, amazing, revelatory stuff this single mom gave to me. God wouldn't give it to me in my prayer closet. I had to connect with another believer, and God would give it to me. So the body is the fullness of it. That's chapter 1. Chapter 4, it says this. There is one, one faith, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. But to each one of us has been given a measure of the gift of Christ. See, he's, he's shifting gears. He's saying, listen, there's one, 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 one. However, to each one of us, we just have a measure. Then he goes into the fivefold ministry. He says, and he took captivity captive, gave gifts to men, so that the, the saints can be equipped for ministry. They're to train us, grow us up. We come in unity as we learn to live together until we reach the full measure of the gift of Christ. There's a theme here. What he's saying is, you as an individual have a measure, just a portion, but you'll never have the fullness until you lock in with some other believers and learn to run together day in and day out and mature together. And that takes time. But when God can find a company of people that you know, commit to each other and say, we're going to run after Jesus together, God can begin to build something there where the fullness of God can be manifest. That's what God is after. That's what we need to be after. And that is one of the primary purposes of these ministry gifts. That they create environments in which all these other kind of gifts can function. Through authority, they create an environment, a supernatural environment where this stuff operates. Now, so we talked about, we have apostles, right? Okay, you got apostles, prophets. That's a good color. I'd love to have a 70 super be that color. Wouldn't that be nice? Apostles, prophets, evangelists. Pastors. I'm running out. Can I make it? Teachers. Okay. What I'm telling you is there is a there's a difference between these first two and these last three. Why is it? Why is it that cessationists and Pentecostals, charismatics alike, to a very large degree, why is it that we are okay with evangelists, pastors, and teachers existing today, but not these two today? Why is it that people tend to say, this is no longer for today? What is the deal with this partial cessationism that even our charismatic Pentecostal churches buy off on? Why is there such a war 
against these two gifts? I would tell you that the reason is because these are the two decidedly supernatural gifts. Some of our most famous, successful evangelists, Billy Graham, he didn't preach a Pentecostal message. You've got, you've got some well-known evangelists, wonderful men and women of God. I'm not, I'm not denigrating them. Men and women of tremendous character and tremendous gifting. And God has used them. They're good evangelists. Some of the largest churches in the world are pastored by people who don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit for today. They're very successful as pastors. They're, some of the greatest teaching minds today spend a lot of their, mind, their time teaching against the supernatural gifts. You can function very successfully in these three gifts without touching the supernatural, but you cannot be apostolic without touching the supernatural. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, it's interesting, it's 12, 12, government. He said, the signs of an apostle have been wrought in your midst, signs, wonders, and miracles. For whatever else apostolic ministry will express, there's going to be supernatural activity surrounding what they do. Because there's a supernatural element to it. And the same is true of prophetic. Being prophetic doesn't mean you're insightful. It certainly doesn't mean you're critical. I mean, I, I've met people that think, that, oh, he's just really prophetic. No, he's a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's just critical. Yeah. yeah, That's not prophetic. That's pathetic. Yeah. Prophetic ministry demands that you're able to draw from the word of the Lord and pull it into the natural, that you can release the now of God. You'd say like a teacher releases the knowledge, a prophet releases the now. What's the most important knowledge? It's what God's doing right now. And with that comes an authority that releases things and moves things in the spiritual realm. So these two gifts, you cannot, these are the decidedly supernatural gifts. That's why there's two passages. Paul says, uh, again, in Ephesians, I want to say it's chapter 2, it might be chapter 3. He says, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. I used to look at that as, oh yeah, Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament, prophets, New Testament, apostles, built on the Word. That's not what he's saying. Number one, the order's wrong. And in the Greek language, order is very important in emphasis. He's talking about apostles and prophets. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right at the end, just before the love chapter, he says, and in the church he gave, first of all, apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then those who speak in tongues or healings, and then gifts of administration, something like that. I always, figured, I always think it's funny where he says gifts of administration because those guys make a mess of things, and then the administrator has to come and clean things up, you know, bring some order. But it's very explicit in the Greek. He gave, first of all, apostles, then prophets. The Greek word there, if I remember right, it's like pro, proton. Uh, it means order of entrance. It's not that apostles and prophets, because on the one hand, we need to push this thing to the forefront and realize these two gifts are essential for the body of Christ. But on the other hand, we've got to push back and, and say, and they're not the super-Christians. In one sense, they're no more important than the others. But their order of entrance is, okay? These are foundational gifts. 
And so just because someone has a prophetic gift or an apostolic gift doesn't mean they're more important than an evangelist or a, or a, 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 you know, a teacher or a pastor. But what it does mean is that theirs is more fundamental and foundational. And because they are the two decidedly supernatural gifts, when we allow ourselves to be open to those gifts and we honor those gifts and we bring them into our environment so that they can be continually fuel the supernatural in the church, it keeps us anchored in the things of God, in the supernatural. But when we begin to divorce ourselves from these things, when we say that's not for today, or like some of our Pentecostal denominations, well, the apostles are merely missionaries and the prophetic mantle has come upon the whole church. It's not good enough. There are apostles and prophets for today and they lay those supernatural foundations, and it's not just for church planting. They're, they also, they'll bring fresh emphasis of what the now of God is. Whenever when you, you'll be, see God begin to move, you'll see these fresh emphases, and there's, there is a natural ability to face opposition within, within apostolic characters. One of the marks of apostolic ministry is the ability to withstand tremendous suffering and endure and stay in that pocket and keep on pushing. They, Paul t- referred to his scars as his credentials. You know, we pull out our card. Huh? Yeah, I'm credentialed with so-and-so. Paul would just, here, here's mine. I've been beaten with rods and I still preach. <laughs> now, them are some credentials. And so there's this thing of just staying in that pocket and keep pushing that that gifting brings into the body of Christ. They'll break new ground. Paul said, I am an uh, expert builder. I lay foundations. There's a pioneering element to that where they're going to break open new truths. Another thing that is common to these two gifts is revelatory. Paul said, the men of old longed to look into these things, but they were withheld. But now they're being released through God's holy apostles and prophets. So there's this revelatory element that comes in for the now of God that anchors us in the supernatural. And so we've got to hold the line on these these two gifts. This is very, very important. And when denominations, movements, churches, and even individuals begin to buy into the lie that these are no longer for today, it is the first step in cessationism. It's the first step of letting go of the supernatural activity in the church. Where ultimately we will reduce the church to the honing of our natural human skills and no more. And that's not what God intended. And so we need those foundations uh, in the church. Anybody got any questions or comments on any of that? Yes. We need to repent. We need to change our mind seriously and say, okay, God, if this is for today, Lord, we're asking God, give us discernment and bring those relationships into our life. When I first became the pastor of Heartland, uh, I was part of a denomination that says that apostles are just, if they still exist, they're missionaries, and the prophetic 
mantle has now come upon the church. Now, there are, there are many within the movement that believe in apostolic and prophetic ministry, but their, their position papers said they don't. <clears throat> but uh, I had this sense that, man, we needed prophetic input into our church. So I began to ask, Lord, God, give us prophets. Lord, give me relationships with well-known prophets, people who have that strong gift. We didn't have that within our church. I didn't even know anybody like that, but I began to ask. Uh, today, 20 years later, I've got strong relationships with international prophets who have been a tremendous benefit to us, but even more so, we've got prophetic people that have raised up within our church and in the region that I rub shoulders with, that I need that influence. And it's not just receiving the word of the Lord from them. I need to rub shoulders with, interact with them because they have a unique perspective. They, they process things from a different perspective that I need that infused into my life. And there's something about that. And there's th those, those partnerships are very, very important. And so we can just, we ask the Lord. Now, uh, the problem, you know, with apostolic and prophetic ministry, there's a lot of people throw those terms around. So we want to root it in Scripture, but look for those, you know, ask God for those relationships. Uh, I mean, when we first started seeing the prophetic bubble up in our church, someone had shared with me, there was a guy over at IHOP who used to run their prophetic rooms, and this is what the Lord told him. Mike told Mike Bickle said, hey, when should you get the prophetic rooms off the ground? And he prayed about it, and the Lord told him this, don't try to raise up prophets or you'll end up with a non-profit organization. He said, cultivate intimacy and prophecy will happen. And that's exactly what happened within our church. We started to get touched by the Spirit of God. God began to cultivate this intimacy, this, the desire. And all of a sudden, people would start saying, wow, you know, the Lord spoke to me. I felt like God showed me this. So then what I did is I, uh, matter of fact, here, I, I, I taught on this last time I was here, but let me just revisit this real quick. I think it's worth saying, because many of you weren't here, uh, you know, Zechariah, what is it, chapter 4, where it says the, the uh, it's the, well, it's really a menorah, the lampstand, you remember that? And uh, the angel of the Lord comes to the prophet, and he said, what do you see? And he said, I'm not really sure, and he said, you don't know? It's like a smart aleck angel, he's rubbing his face in it, you know, you don't know, huh, buddy? And uh, he said, I see a lampstand, and this lampstand has uh two trees on either side. Is that, let me see, it'd be like, yeah, right? That'd be a menorah. So you got your, your lampstand here. And uh, he said, then I see two trees on either side. And they're olive trees. Okay? That's your tree. Okay? Okay? So you got your two olive trees, and then he says, and there's a bowl at the top, this strange lampstand, and there's channels that go to all the burners. I've tried to preach on this in, in Spanish, man, the poor translator, <laughs> like channels and bowls, and, and, <laughs> but this is a picture of prophetic ministry, and he tells him, he says, What's the interpretation? The angel said, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's, the, that's what that is, right there. This picture right here means 
that it's not by human effort, it's by the Spirit of the Lord. That's, that's what that means. I, 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 well, how do you get that? Well, you look in the New Testament, and the, remember the two prophets in the book of Revelation? He quotes this passage and said, these are my two anointed ones who stand before the Lord of all the earth. It's the two olive trees. Well, the burner we know from Revelation chapter 1 through 3, the lampstand is the church. So we have prophetic ministry producing fresh olive oil continually, putting it in the bowl so the word of the Lord can be pressed down continually into the burner of the church, and we're to be a church that lives by the word of the Lord. We're not groping around here trying to figure out what to do next. The word of the Lord is breaking in all the time, speaking to us. Uh, what is it? Second uh, Chronicles 20.20, I believe it is, that uh, it talks about, it, it's an interesting little verse. It says, Obey, believe the Lord and you will be established. Believe his prophets and the Hebrew is you'll have forward momentum. Believe the Lord, you'll be established. But there's something beyond just being established. He wants us to have forward momentum. How do we keep breaking into new things? By the word of the Lord, that revelatory gift of the prophetic, breaking in and letting the church burn bright. It's not just the knowledge of God. It's not just the academic. It's not what God said in the past. It's the prophetic. It's the now of God, and it's what He's saying right now that keeps us on the edge and pressing forward as a church, always breaking into fresh territory. But that only comes through apostolic and prophetic influence in our lives. And so we have this, the fresh olive, the fresh word of the Lord's being produced, goes into the bowl, the weight of that oil just keeps it burning bright, and the picture is, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's prophetic ministry. But we need to have that influence all the time. So we need to begin to ask the Lord. So what I did as a pastor, I began to evaluate that. I said, you know what I need? I need channels. It was shocking to me, and I think a lot of pastors would discover this, that God is already speaking to their people and they don't know it. Because they've never built channels of communication to get the oil of what they're hearing into the burners of the church. So what I did began to do is just tell our people, we're just, a, we're just this little band of people. We had this little building on the other side of town, and we'd just crowd to God on this ratty little string carpet, you know. Man, God would just show up and just, it, it was glorious, this little tiny building. And uh, we're crying out to God, and people would come to me, I felt like the Lord showed me this. I, so I started telling them, listen, email me. If God's speaking to you, send me an email. I started getting the emails. And I realized, oh my goodness, God's saying the same thing to three different people, and nobody knew it, because they just thought, oh, this is just between me and Jesus. And here it was being established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So we built some channels, and, and I tell our people, and, and I, I shared this last time I was here, I tell our people, listen, if you can't get something from God, give it to me, and have me do nothing with it. There's no room for your gift in this house. We can't roll like that because I can't abdicate my role of authority. I can't give up the steering wheel because you had a prophetic encounter. That doesn't mean you're wrong and I'm right. If it doesn't bear witness, I might be wrong, but I'm still in charge. That's, that's my assignment. And I can't abdicate because you had this extravagant encounter. And so 
man, the people, the people that will have these words and come to me and say, there, there was one gal, they ended up going to the mission field, but she was, I mean, it was uncanny. These, matter of fact, during that season, there was two gals, and uh, they would write me. It was, there were times I'd be studying at home a passage, bloop, bloop, two emails would come, two different prophetic gals would be talking about the very scripture I was reading at that moment. The Lord spoke to me this and this. I thought, you can't make this stuff up. It's amazing. And the one, she would come and she'd say, Pastor, this is what the Lord showed me. We were in a prayer meeting. I saw an angel stand on his head. And another one came and pushed over. He got back up on his head. And the Lord said, I'm turning this thing upside down. For too long, the church has been, the, the driving force has been the evangelist, pastor, and teacher. I'm going to flip this thing upside down. And I'm going to put the church on its head. And, uh, she, and then she'd say, I'm sure glad you're in charge. Now my job's done. She'd laugh and walk away. <laughs> I can work with someone like that. Because they wouldn't get offended. It's the people that, well, you didn't do something with my word. Well, you have your role, I have mine. So just pray for me. Not those witchcraft prayers, you know. <laughs> just say, God, teach pastor, you know. But, we, you know, you, they, there has to be that relationship that I honor their position, they honor mine, and we can function as the body of Christ. But we, I think as leaders, we, and and, you know, as intercessors, we just need to have lines of communication, the channels to get the, the oil to the burner, and just say, okay, what, what are you hearing from the Lord? What is God telling you? And so that we can lead by the Word of the Lord. So the Word of the Lord can be infused into the environment. And so, this is a, a valuable thing. But if we don't, if we're not taking advantage of that, we don't know what the Lord is saying. God is speaking but we've got to make room for it to get to us. So there was something else I was going to say about that, but I can't remember. Anybody else have any questions? Or yeah, and I think you know, because we have we have these human, we have these human. I mean, there, there's a lot of pastors that are evangelists or prophets or apostles, and we call them pastor because that's. You know, that's just how we do it in the United States. And, uh, and then you got some cultures, you know, church cultures that everybody's a bishop or a, an apostle. And they're, they're really just, some of that stuff is just, you know, it's, it's not about the title, it's about the function. And so, and there's, there's times where there, there can be a person that has a, a uh, prophetic edge in evangelism, but they're a teacher within the local church. I think is, there's, there's a lot of crossover the, the main thing we need to realize is God still uses those types of gifts for today. And we can't afford to divorce ourselves from it because it makes us uncomfortable. And so we've got to avail ourselves. Now we've got to keep it anchored in the Word because there's going to be those teachers out there. They're going to say, wait, you're being unscriptural. And hey, we need to be open to that. You know, the, the Word of God is our guide. And so what you have is you have pastors who are geared towards the flock. The Greek word for pastor is shepherd. They're going to shepherd, they're going to feed, lead, protect the sheep. They want the sheep to be healthy and safe, and that's a great thing. One of the problems with apostolically led churches, there's open heavens and open back doors. Because often people aren't cared for as much because apostolic bent gifting doesn't look so much after the flock as much as expansion, expansion, 
touching other things. And so you've got to backfill that with some other gifts. Evangelists, you know, where, whereas the shepherd is always concerned about the sheep being taken care of, we've got an evangelist in our church, and uh, I, can, I see it on his body. I can tell, I'll be preaching, and he'll be, I can see it. He's like, why are we listening to another message? There are people dying and going to hell. He, I can see his body posture. It just kills him. And it's so funny. It's like, man, don't ever pick up poker, buddy. You, you got, you're not very, you can't hide what you're thinking. But I love the guy, man. And he is, he, he loves the lost. He, he spends thousands and thousands and thousands of his own money every year to go to the ends of the earth. But I can tell he's just like, another sermon? Really? Do we really need more? You know, we need, we need to get out there and save the lost. It's so funny. Teachers are geared towards the Word. They're always like, okay, we got to explain this. Here's the danger. When you lose apostolic and prophetic gifting, then teachers who were assigned to explain what God was doing in the atmosphere and is being pulled into the orbit of the church through those gifts, they now turn their teaching gift against those gifts and explain, they now begin to develop a theology to justify the barrenness that we're experiencing. And so what we do is we end up having all these reasons. Rather than teaching on, okay, we prayed for the sick, they didn't get healed, how do we see more traction? How do we do it? Instead, we begin to make teachings on the reasons God doesn't heal today. And Rather than pressing in for more, we have all these things that kind of comfort our wounded heart, but they're not making us any more fruitful. And so, so the pastor has got his eyes on the flock, the evangelist has his eyes on the lost, the teacher has, wants to anchor it in the Word, the prophetic is listening for the now of God, the Word of the Lord, and the apostolic is looking for the kingdom to break in. And they're really that overarching theme of the kingdom of God and uh, foundations, new territory, expansion, expansion, expansion. You can say elders in the body of Christ. Paul says, Paul and Peter both use this term. Elders shepherd the flock of God. So you can make a very strong case that elders are really the shepherds. They're the pastoral team in the body of Christ. And Paul said, appoint elders in every city to shepherd the flock. Elders are to establish while apostolic wants to expand, always take more territory. And so we need all of those working together. And when we have them, we see that supernatural activity. Then pastors are pastoring people in a supernatural environment. Evangelists are leading people to the Lord. Evangelists are supposed to be some of the most supernatural people in the body of Christ. The only guy we have in the New Testament being translated was an evangelist. He's like, man, that's pretty good. You know, you're going to go to my next evangelistic meeting? Poof, I'm there. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm, okay, I know he didn't do it at will, but, you know, I mean, it, uh, so we need, we need those supernatural elements. Anybody else have any questions or comments? The good thing is, in this day and age, well, let me back up. I, w- I was preaching in uh, Omaha. That friend of ours had a house of prayer there for many years, Julaine Christensen. I don't know if anybody knows Julaine in here, but she's a wonderful revivalist, Holy Ghost woman, and, uh, She's just a wonderful gal. And uh, so I was over at her house of prayer preaching one night, and I got there early, and they had a wonderful environment. So I just went over a couple hours early just to pray. And I was asking the Lord about this. And I, I said, Lord, I don't understand why you sent such a strong outpouring of the Spirit in the 90s. 
only to then begin to release teaching on the apostolic in the early 2000s. Because much of apostolic ministry is to, to tie down those gains of what happened. Uh, you know, there's the, the Greek word that we translate apostle is apostolos. The first time that they have found that word show up in ancient literature, it was in reference to the lead ship in a Grecian armada of ships. And it carried the commander, but it also carried cultural artifacts of the conquering empire. Because ancient warfare, the way they would do it is they would come in and they, with military, they would conquer with power, but govern with authority. So when we talk about revival, revival is a break-in of the power of God. But if you don't follow up the break-in of the power of God with governmental authority to begin to rule over that, you end up fighting for the same ground again and again and again and again. And so what would happen? So when, when Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, that's power. Thy will be done is governing authority. What we secure through power, we govern through authority. There has to be that governing structure. And so I didn't really understand that at the time. So I was saying, Lord, why didn't you send this teaching on apostolic, the way it's supposed to work? We could have been, we could have been in such a better place after the last outpouring. Because what happened is the, the, the Romans, the Grecians started this, the Romans really perfected. Alexander the Great, you guys, many of you are familiar how Alexander the Great, one of the things he did is he imposed the Grecian language on everywhere he conquered this huge, vast domain, and it became one language, one custom, and so he made the world Grecian. So then when these nations would want to rebel against, they, they can't. They become one of them. They spoke Greek. They had Greek customs. So they just adapted, and it enabled them to rule and to govern through culture. So they would bring artifacts on the ship. They would have scrolls, medical scrolls, educational. They would redefine what family meant, what the arts meant. Everything would be redefined through the Grecian lens so that they would become thoroughly Grecian. Well, the Romans took that to a whole nother level. And so what the Romans would do, they adopted that terminology, an apostolos, and they would assign an apostolos to the newly conquered country. So a general would go in and defeat the country, then they would install their governors in the form of an apostolos, and it was his job to reculturize that, that area from the lens of that conquering kingdom. So that if the command, you know, if Caesar were to come, it would be there as it is in Rome. He would feel at home on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's the idea. And so Jesus could have chosen from all kinds of different words. He could have said, okay, guys, I spent all night in prayer. I got 12 of you. I'm going to call you my patriarchs, or I'm going to call you my priests, or I'm going to call you my dudes. I mean, you know, you could have called them anything. But what he did is he reached outside of Jewish religious culture into Roman Grecian military culture, and he lifted a phrase, a, a title that was already clearly identified and defined in the minds of his hearers. And so there's this cultural mandate that's tied to that to change the culture, to readjust the culture so that it, it, it's from the culture of heaven, kingdom culture that will establish things. So I was asking the Lord, I was saying, God, why, why did you do that? Why? I said, this is what I said, I said, Lord, 
with all due respect, if you could have gave us the model, then maybe we could have kept some of the gains because it was so painful to me. I, I've known of churches in Iowa that were powerfully hit by revival. I mean, they were shook. Miracles, signs, wonders, growth, all this stuff. And today they're worse off. They're a shell of what they were before revival. In fact, you could make a very strong argument that revival ended up hurting them. And it gave bad, a bad name to the moving of the Spirit, which tremendously grieves me. And so I was like, Lord, why, why didn't you give us this grid work so that we could contain? It's like we had a saucer, and if you could have taught us about how this works, we could have had a bowl and contained much more. And, and I was just kind of conversing. I wasn't expecting an answer, but the Lord said to me very clearly, he said, I'm not a God of theory. He said, I don't, I don't have you build something and then fill it. I pour it out and have you catch it. And then he told me this. He said, it's the pain of the loss of the last move that has caused my people to pull on heaven for more revelation. And it's that yearning and the pain that you're feeling of never wanting to go through that again that is actually resulting in me releasing that revelation. Because revelation is too valuable for God to give to someone that doesn't have a value system to treasure it. God's too good a steward. He's not going to throw his pearls before swine. God's not trying to slam us there. What he's saying is a pig will choose a half-rotted eaten corn cob over a valuable pearl. Because in its value system, that corn cob is worth more. It'll take its little dirty hoof and crush the little pearl into the mud to get to the corn cob. So God's not going to give pearls to swine. He's got to first create a value system in us. And sometimes the way that happens is the pain of the loss the last time will cause us to dig in and say, God, don't ever let this happen again. Lord, we've got to be prepared for the next move. We've got to build this thing so we can harness it. And we've got to change the culture. And I, I think that if we're not careful as revival culture, I, I consider myself of the revival stream, but probably a better name for it is the kingdom stream. We've got to get beyond revival because revival presupposes death and backsliding. You know, let's have revival. Okay, let's all backslide again. Then God can revive us. It's not a good plan. So what we want to do is go from glory to glory. We want the kingdom to come in power. So how does that work? We, we pull on heaven and we understand the kingdom dynamics of how to create a culture in which the kingdom can thrive and people can grow up. And that comes out of the pain of the loss in the last season, that God will release that to us. And so I do believe that this next move, it's like in the Gospels where Peter, Jesus says, throw your nets over. And the, they were breaking, you know, they're snapping and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. I'm an unclean man. So then in John 21, he goes and does it again. He's, he's backslid. He went back to his old vocation. He's got to be recalled. He was called, but now he's recalled. So Jesus tells him to do it again. He's out there fishing, and, and there's something going on. He doesn't recognize who Jesus is, but Jesus said, hey, throw your nets on the other side. And he does, and it says, this time the nets did not break. What Peter's been through with the Lord, this time, even though it's a great load and the boat, boat's starting to sink, the nets held this time. And Peter said, something feels really familiar about this. And it says he grabbed his cloak and ran into the water. I, I believe it's a picture of his mantle. 
Every time I see Jesus, I have to put that thing back on. I can't disown who he's called me to be. And he goes back. But this time, the nets did not break. I believe we're in a season where it's incumbent upon us to strengthen our nets because there's a great harvest. But we need to learn from the last time. I I don't want to see the heartache. So what we're going to look at later uh, today is how do we create kingdom culture? And uh, usually when we do these, it's with a bunch of pastors, but I think that there's an application for us in this room. How do we create kingdom culture? There is a There is a dynamic in the Spirit available to us that we can access things far beyond what we've ever dreamed possible. But there's a price to pay for it. So we'll look at that. Anybody else have any questions or comments? Yeah, can I make one? Yes. Um, I think what we're doing here is part of what we need to do as well. And I know just from being connected to your church, then we've been up there when you've had different people come through. Um, you know, Leif, yeah. and then uh, the other guy, he, he escapes my mind right Bob now. Bob Hazlett. Bob Hazlett. Paul Udall. Yeah, the one that you always have when I'm busy. So yeah. I'm telling you, <laughs> you need to check with me before you secure his date. Yes. But it's, it's having them come here, but it's also us going up there and seeing what's happening up there. And like with Lou Engle coming yeah. next, you know, or Saturday, I want to encourage you, if you're a pastor, go to the luncheon, and then, you know, if you can stay for the evening service, stay. And if you're not a pastor, just go up there anyways. Yeah, that's, that's a good... Yeah, because, you know, you know lose a prophetic voice, and there's something... Exactly. When he, that thing he carries, it'll ignite your heart. There's something about the now of God that will strike our heart, create that fresh motivation. We need that, you know. We can, we can become discouraged. We just need that infusion. So. Yeah, and and you know even last night, just from what took place, it it you can sense the excitement in us this morning. And now, Jade, I know why you didn't charge your phone last night. That's okay. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. I understand that. She was a little a little tipsy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. That's funny. Yeah. But I just wanted to share that. And then, yeah. can we take a break real quick? Yes, let's do. What time was this one supposed to be over? Okay. Okay. Yeah, let's take a break. Sorry. Just a 10-minute break, so come back in at 5 to 11. All right. No, that's a good...